Empty Frames is an independent production. The commentary expressed here is our own and does not reflect the opinions of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum or its staff. To learn more about the museum, including the 1990 theft, please visit the museum's website at www.isgm.org. If you have any critical information relating specifically to the 1990 theft, please contact the museum's security director via the options provided on the museum's website. The museum continues to offer a reward totaling $10 million for information that can lead to the return of the stolen artwork. We are bothered by the loss the art world suffered in 1990, and we are not content with the status quo. One stolen painting to note is from Manet, a French artist who created Che Tortoni, circa 1880. It's an elegant depiction of a man sketching a half-consumed beer on the table as he calmly looks at his audience. We started this podcast to raise awareness of the theft and to show our support for the ongoing recovery efforts. While those recovery efforts progress as they do daily, we encourage our listeners to visit the museum, to appreciate its incredible collection, both past and present, and to donate directly to the museum through its website. Again, if you enjoy this podcast and you feel as we do about the missing artwork, the most productive way for you to express your view is to donate directly to the Gardner Museum via its website. Go to isgm.org and look for the Join and Give tab, where there are options to make a donation of any size to support the museum's mission. Please donate today. And when you do, let us know on Twitter so we can personally thank you there. Thanks again. On March 18, 1990, the most audacious art heist of all time took place at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Two men dressed as police officers were admitted into the building by security, claiming to be responding to a disturbance call. In 81 minutes, 13 pieces of art were stolen. Among the portraits, stripped from their frames were works by Vermeer, Degas, and Rembrandt. Estimated at half a billion dollars, the heist has been categorized as the largest and most frustrating of all time. Theories of their whereabouts and those who perpetrated the crime are abundant. In this podcast series, we will dig as deep as possible into the case, the theories, and the social and economic impact the greatest unsolved art heist of all time had on the community. This is Empty Frames, a heist story. Welcome back to Empty Frames. I'm Tim, here today in the Crawl Space Studios with Lance. What's up, Lance? Hey, how's it going? Today we have part two of our interview with Ulrich Boser down in Washington, D.C. Of course, Ulrich is the author of the wonderful book, The Gardner Heist. And it was a fun interview when we were down there, uh, listening back on it. It was uh, fun to hear how uh, conversational it was. So, um, yeah, we're going to come up with some bullet points, some talking points, and uh, highlight those as we uh, you know, go on with this episode. 
And we also have these two books to give away. Thanks to Deb from HarperCollins Publishers. She sent us The Gardner Heist by Ulrich Boser, and she sent us The Art of the Heist by Miles Connor and Jenny Seiler. Yeah, these are two fantastic books that you really should uh, start with if you're just immersing yourself in the uh, Gardner Heist. These will uh, these read like like movies, like fast-paced movies, and they're full of very uh, important information regarding the heist. You will love them both. So we're going to give them away on Twitter. So if you want one of these books, tweet us at empty underscore frames, and we're going to select the two most interesting theories or thought-provoking tweets. In regards to the podcast or the heist? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, easy as that. We will select them and we will message you back. So tweet us at empty underscore frames and you might be getting a book mailed your way. <laughs> Who doesn't like to read a book? All right, so here we're talking with Ulrich about a potential inside source. Protocol for if, if police come to the museum was not to just open the door. It was to get their names and badges and call police. Yeah, there's some, if I remember correctly, there's some d- dispute about this. Okay. I mean, Abbott himself says that uh, you know, there were like vague instructions around mm-hmm. that. Um, but his argument on that specific issue strikes me as, as somewhat plausible, right? I mean, uh, the Gardner Museum had, had weak security, but was it weaker than other museums in that time and place? You know, I, I don't believe so. Um, but Abastori, I mean, you just you, when you run through it, it just has a number of these these holes. One of my questions is, a lot, so a lot of these people started dying, like started yep. so. Why wasn't the inside source of the museum whacked? So we don't actually know who the inside source is. If it is Abbott, I mean, he, he's been brought in front of a grand jury, and, and the grand jury bar is, is low. They, they looked at the evidence, let's assume them to be reasonable human beings, and they were like, eh, you know, there's just not enough here. So now the other thing is like, um, you know, we're, we're human beings, and so we love to think of cause and effect, right? Where it's like, guy talks, another guy listens, this happens, right? But, oh, you know, they're talking over beers, you overhear something, it's the cousin who says, oh, you know, uh, I'll talk to him. So, you know, just that, that these sort of rumors allow you to still have some plausibility, I think, in the secure, right? You, you still allow that level of detail where... Um, you figure out where the security room is, but you still don't know the person, right, where they need to die because they know uh, Jim and, and James, the the robbers. Uh, that's where my mind goes. Okay. Um, but, uh, I mean, maybe one was whacked. I mean, we simply don't know. Right, that. I mean, this right. Is that's true. Speculation. And so a, a bath actually looked at these guys. There, He spoke to these guys. Yep. If everybody else who had had a connection to the heist had, had a contract out in their life and it was followed through on, what was the arrangement with him? Are they just being kind to him, or yep. would it be too obvious yep. if he got if he got whacked if he if his body was found? I mean, the other thing about Abbott, um, I mean, he's he's a curious guy, and, and for that matter, and, and just you know, uh, uh, yeah, just you know, he's he's got a nice dose of weirdness, and to a degree, you know, I, I, I admire that. But there are these just holes, right, where he says um, the sketches of the thieves were, were terrible, but you're like, well, actually, you were kind of the person who was responsible for that, right? right? Like, you shouldn't have, I mean, not that he had signed off on them, but, I mean, they weren't drawing them out of thin air, right? They were going on his account. 
um, to some degree, the, the second guard's account, but he was the person who really had a visual on them. There's a dotted line to a guard, in yeah. my opinion, and we just don't know who it, right. who it is and how that information sort of comes through. Does it come through a girlfriend? Mm -hmm. Does it come through a boyfriend? Mm -hmm. um, we don't know. I asked Ulrich what he thought about a third person being involved that night who potentially stayed in the museum after it closed. And based on some accounts, there is some precedent for this. And here's what he said. I mean, the security was was weak, but I mean, the museum's not a, it's not the Metropolitan Museum of Art where you have just like whole wings. I mean, uh, I mean maybe, you know, if there's some specific place. Uh, anyway, that, that detail yeah. I struggle with a little bit. And here we ask Ulrich real quick his opinion on the timing of the heist, that being St. Patrick's Day in Boston. Yeah, I think it's intentional, right? Yeah. I mean, so so my operating theory, just to, to lay out, you know, my bias, right, is is, is that David Turner is is the one of the people who's really keenly involved. And when you look at uh, the Bull and Finch, when you look at Loomis, um, you know, there there is a thread there where you can see that they like these, uh, or he likes these. Uh, thieves, if he, you know, uh, was involved in them on, on these types of event festivity days. Right. Yeah, and his uh, likeness is very similar to the composites. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we have we have this evidence that connects uh, David so his uh, to the composite. Uh, when I spoke to him, there was this kind of vague bragging he, he denies, but then uh, and, you know seems to insert himself. Uh, clearly, the 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 anyway, we could go into to greater detail, but that, that mm -hmm. gang seems uh, seems part of it. The use of the word "mate" by one of the thieves is pretty interesting. Let's hear what Ulrich has to say about that. Right, people have used that to um, to to you know create this Irish connection. I, it's hard for me to to see a lot of, uh, around it, but the yeah. sourcing on that is also odd. Right, it's like it's never entirely clear. Right, it's not in the police reports. Right, so is it like? I'm I think it's, it's in one of the articles. It's in one of the articles, but when you look through the you know the police reports of that night, which you know have quotes, um, it's always I'm a little bit unclear to me where where exactly that comes from. No doubt the FBI has a lot more uh, information than than we do. We talked about it a little bit in the first interview, but what, what do you make of the this uh, Tom Mashberg and Youngworth, William yeah, Youngworth? Yeah. You know, d Tom, uh, fantastic reporter. Um, you know, very dedicated. Uh, you know, starts doing some reporting, and basically, you know, Miles is in prison when the theft occurs, uh, and and then remains in prison, and and he has this. Uh, everyone loves to use the word associate. Uh, he has you know some colleagues, some friend, this guy Billy Youngworth, who's on the outside. He has an antiques uh, dealership. He plays a role in the return of something that someone once described as like a, a turd but it, it was like some uh, antique I forgot what it was mm. I'd, I'd have to go oh yeah yeah, yeah. we actually just looked like that up something from the state house it was the state house yeah. yeah he has a connection to Youngworth he has some understanding of this you know kind of art world he's he's shown himself to be someone who can return or at least facilitate the return of, of items uh, I'd have to go back and and and, and reread, but over time, um, you know, he and Mashberg appear to, to develop a relationship, and then at, at one point, uh, Mashberg is is taken to see a, a replica of the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and then given these uh, paint chips. If you look back on them, I mean, the idea is sort of, you know, that Billy Youngworth is sort of either negotiating with Miles or negotiating with friends of Miles to return the paintings. 
um, but the paintings don't come back. I think it's a, it seems like a complicated process, getting someone a lesser charge for paintings. Using the paintings yeah. as the leverage to, yep. to reduce the sentence. Yeah. But not totally unusual, right? Not, not unprecedented, yep. just like a long process that seems like it can go wrong a lot of different <laughs> ways. Yeah. Sure. I'm wondering why it's easy to write off the, the Mashberg um, sighting as a, as a replica, even though he said that it was a replica. Yeah. If you, if you start with the timeline of, of this visit to this warehouse in Brooklyn, yep. he's taken there by somebody who's got connections to organized crime and connections to, um, you know, rumored in the, uh, in the heist itself. Yep. Um, he's taken to this warehouse by this person. He sees something that, you know, is obviously it's a dark room. They're shining a flashlight on it. Yep. It's, got, it's got the edges that have been cut away. He, he's taken aback by it, and I understand he's a reporter, and he you know, probably is you know, thinking about he just got yep. this. Um, but he sees it. He, call, he, he sees the other tubes in there. They tell him this is where the rest of them yep. are. Um, and then he sent the paint chips that were from uh, the time period, yep. and then all of a sudden it's, there's, there's nothing other than, I guess it was replicas because we haven't heard anything. Former U.S. Attorney Donald Stern tells you, he says, uh, we regularly cut deals with some bad people. We do it all the time with murderers, drug dealers, and we would have been happy to give Youngworth a deal if he had given us some proof, but he had nothing but a newspaper article. Yep. But And the newspaper article he's referencing is the one that the Mashburg, we've, we've, seen yep. it we've seen cover, it. but Mas there's Mashburg's eyewitness sighting of this uh, storm in the sea, which... Yep which uh, was called by, here by an expert, uh, Walter C. McCrone, an art expert. He said, everything is utterly perfect from a canvas, he, based on the 25 pictures that Youngworth sent to Mashburg. He said, the art expert said, everything is utterly perfect for a Rembrandt paint layer and none of the indicators that would show it to be inauthentic, modern materials or other errors forgers make are discernible. Yep. And then, the FBI said, "Well, that wasn't that wasn't a Rembrandt," and and Youngworth said, "Well, that was from the Vermeer anyway." Yeah. So there's three things. There was yep. the eyewitness sighting that Mashberg had that, based on his eyewitness account and this art expert, it sounds like that was the real painting. And then there was the 25 pictures, photographs, and then there was this these paint chips that matched a speci very specific color that Vermeer yep. uh, used. So why is it so easy to write it off as this was just an elaborate hoax? I think what we have is, is Mashberg pursues this story. Uh, he gets what appears to be, you know, in our, or at least in my category of like robust evidence, right? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, one alone, maybe not, but all of them together suggest that there's something there. Uh, you see these headlines in, in Boston newspapers. It, it feels very clear that the museum is about to return these. We know that Youngworth also gets money. Uh, now, these aren't like life-altering changes, but um, you know, we're, we're talking about incentives, right? Um, so uh, my understanding is you know, the federal government is, is like, okay, we got this newspaper reporter. We're going to offer you a deal, right? Offer you a deal, bring us the paintings. And the more they are like, you, know, you just show up at this time, bring us the paintings, we give you the money. He doesn't show up. They are, you know, continue to be more flexible, say, show up with the paintings, we need more proof, uh, we need you to bring the paintings, and, and nothing ever happens, right? So 
uh, it ultimately becomes a dead end. And, and when it's a dead end, where you feel like, oh, there's all this evidence, I wouldn't say hoax, right? I mean, a hoax is, 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 you know, that I came here on a, on a unicorn. Uh, but there, there seems to be uh, a problem, right? So either Youngworth thought he had access to the paintings and then doesn't have them, right? So he right. turns still to a, a different associate and is like, you know, it's, it's time to, to uh, get up and, and, and deal and he can't get them or whatever, right? The locker code doesn't work. I, I don't, I'm not sure, right? Or he's just sort of always kind of dealing a little bit in, in secondary rumors. Maybe these paintings existed, maybe they're real. And Mashberg sees them, Mashberg writes the article, the Herald puts out the, the big headline, and then whoever is um, you know, basically in charge of storing them at the time says to Youngsworth, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, we gotta get these out of here now. Yeah. And then, then he starts playing the game with the feds and saying, I can get them here, I can get them there, and maybe that's where it all falls apart. If you're sitting in the gardener and there are these details that none of us sort of know, right? I mean, we can, like, you know, specific stickers on the back. Uh, you can x-ray these paintings, and there's a crack liqueur that's very specific, right? I mean, there are other... But when we look back, and we're like, well, they, what they did deliver is, is paint chips from work that is of that time. Mm -hmm. That's pretty... That's pretty fascinating, but that isn't actually, you know, there are other proofs of life. I mean, if he had sent the finial, I think we would have believed him more. Right. Uh, then what happens? Is Youngworth, are his intentions bad? Uh, was he overstating? Uh, we, just, we just don't know. My dealings with sort of Youngworth and, and then Youngworth's associates, I mean, he, he's, uh, it, um, it, was, it was very slippery to sort of get to the bottom of it. I had a hard time getting to Billy. When I, I, I think of these two camps, right, Youngworth versus the feds, I'm just... I mean, generally, one should go with a little bit with the feds. Generally, have a you know marred but generally good track record. Robert Gentile, yep. the uh, low-level mobster who had his uh, place searched in, in Connecticut. Yep, they found some evidence uh, in a false bottom shed. Yep. a list showing what the Gardner artwork would bring on the black market. We've talked about organized crime, right? But there's two ways of thinking about organized crime. There's basically like Three of us decide we're going to rob. We're organized and criminals. That makes us uh, organized crime. And then there's people who are really much more clearly affiliated with a mob. You yeah. see that in Bobby Donati. You see yeah. that with Mello. And then you see that with uh, Gentile as well. Yeah. Right. Right. There's a there's a high level circles. There's the mid level circles. Yep. There's the sort of the um, workers. Yep. You know, the, like the, yep. the bootsmen. Yeah. How easy is it to get your hands on police uniforms? Yeah. <laughs> Right? Have we written that off? As like, uh, have we, I guess have they, we written that off? Like they went to I party. From what the description is, they they had like the whole getup. They had the raincoat. Yes. And yep, they had even the little kind of things and little lapels. Yeah, the little BP right there. Yeah. And we wrap up this interview with Ulrich by making an attempt to connect the dots between all of these names that are out there. The the Gentiles and the Miles Connor and the Donatis and there's so many names so we uh, spread out some paper on the table and we start to make the attempt to connect the dots of these POIs. What we do know for sure is you know Mello runs a crew right mm -hmm. and we know like a million dollar of cocaine runs through there we know you can get all sorts of other um, you know just stolen items there um, and then you know, so so he runs it, and then you have people like David 
you know, you can go from David Turner mm -hmm. to that, and then Pappas is connected to him. Uh, Reisfelder is there, and Donati is there, and then Garenti is the other one. Mm -hmm. Garenti gets you to Gentile, right? Yep. And Gentile is, is without question where the FBI is most focused today. They've announced publicly that they know who the two thieves are, and then it, it, it sort of swings south. So, you know, if what we've what, what I hear you guys saying is, is in, in kind of covering, okay, the, the museum was robbed. Without question, Miles Connor is the first person you, you look for, right? He's the biggest thief. The problem is he's in prison. And then you start looking at, at that. Um, I think a lot more of the evidence starts pointing you towards Mello and, and this type of, of yeah. crew. And, and so then you get to Reisfelder. You get to Donati, which gets you back there. Mm -hmm. And then who are the other people who operate uh, within within this? Right. Yeah. Right. And then people get killed in here. Yep. Um, but ultimately, I, I right, if, if you rob the museum, you get these paintings, they're high value, but you don't know what to do with them. I actually... I'd push back a little bit that people are getting killed over the paintings, right? So, yeah. uh, Georgie Reisfelder, I mean, they say he was drug overdose. Certainly seems very possible. You know, you look at David Turner and, and the death of Pappas. Pappas is clearly killed because of the Canton home invasion, mm -hmm. right? We, I mean, uh, it seems. Yeah. Now, David is prosecuted for that. Anyway, um, this is where I would start to, to go, yeah. right? Start moving down this, this okay. little okay. network. Great. And then there's there's other networks, right? Yeah. So um, if and we, we don't believe this network, then we go down the Bulger network. Oh, and then I guess if we if we if we go with this, right, we would make a, a Miles Connor one, and right. these two would kind of overlap. Yeah, yeah. This is where those circles with Donati. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So let's should we do it? Yeah. Sure. Let's do it. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's do a, a Miles one. Okay. Right. We got Miles. And then to Miles, we get Billy. And then, like, Bobby Donati yeah. gets us kind of over then, here. You have Salemi, who, who should actually, well, I mean, if we're having, if we're, if we're really going to do this, like, Salemi is a whole nother crew. And that is, like, the real Costa, you know, that's the real Italian mafia. And Mello's, uh, for better or worse, uh, you know, if he were alive, you'd be upset that he's kind of a little bit on the wannabe side. Right, okay. Um, but then Salemi owns like a true crew. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, and, and they're competing with Bulger. Mm -hmm. And then there's Patrick Knee around here somewhere, right? He eventually kind of comes in with... Have you guys come across uh, him? I don't... That, that name is a he had me. another book. He's, he's the most logical person to explain the Irish connection. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I, I really trust Tom's reporting on this. Mm -hmm. You know, he is here, you know, also putting forward the Lenny Demuzio and George Reisfelder theory. Mm -hmm. um, that seems to be who the FBI thinks. You think? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to. It's hard to say. Thank you for listening to Empty Frames a co-production of Crawlspace Media and Audio Boom. Original music by Jared Jensen. Please learn more by going to EmptyFramesPodcast.com and CrawlspacePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. Follow Empty Frames on Twitter at Empty underscore Frames. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as Empty Frames Podcast. 
We're back in two weeks, and we talked to former Gardner Night Watchman Jeff Rockwell. So you stopped working at the museum in 1987, and the heist, of course, happened in 1990. So you weren't interviewed by uh, the Boston police or the FBI or anything, right? No, I was interviewed by the FBI. You were? Yeah. 